Well, welcome, friends. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whenever you're listening. This is the Full Dig Podcast. My name is Clint Levitt. I'm a pastor, a reverend here at Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, and I'm joined by the good reverend, esteemed reverend Dr. Bruce Johnson. Bruce, how are you today? I'm doing well. Good to be with you, Clint. Yeah, yeah, likewise. I'm uh, I'm really glad I was invited to host uh, in Kirk's absence, and uh, yeah, really hyped to, to jump into Jeremiah with you today. Yeah, I'm really anxious to hear uh, your reflections on Jeremiah and what you've thought, particularly about his call in chapter one, as we get into that. Yeah, yeah. It's a really, really fun passage that has some really unique parallels we'll get to discuss a bit, uh, but also, I think, pertinent for us in a time where we're trying to navigate what it means to follow God uh, and what it means to hear God's call in our lives. So yeah, I'm excited to jump in. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, I'll read the first 10 verses, and you finish up the first chapter for us. Sounds great. Thanks, Bruce. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, From the north disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you declares the Lord. So a lot in this. 
Uh, yeah. so what, what stands out? You, you preached on this text this past Sunday? I did, I did, yeah. You know, it's funny, right at the start, uh, I mentioned to our congregation that we encounter some of the scariest stuff in the Bible, uh, which includes names. Names and places, right, are often some of the most intimidating parts of Scripture. And right away at the start, we get all of these names and locations. And for many of us, when we open our Bibles, that can be intimidating. Uh, But I think they're actually really helpful. And when you see what was going on in the nation at this time, it helps reveal uh, the need for this message that God brought through Jeremiah, the need for reform, the need for change, the need for repentance in a nation that had lost its way. Right. A lot of the names have that I-A-H ending, which is the name of God, Yahweh, the Lord. And so it has become part of the culture that you name your children with um, good, godly names. Yeah. And yet there are still problems. It was a, a surface kind of devotion to God, but right. not really deep. Well, yeah. And how, how powerful that... Uh, we, we follow God in namesake, uh, but how much more egregious is our uh, lack of consistency when we follow God in namesake, but then fail to follow God in, in actuality. Uh, yeah, really, really powerful start there. So that was one thing we brought up. Uh, I think the, the twofold tension that we see in, in Jeremiah uh, is, is really expressed well in verse 10. Uh, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow and build and plant. And I think that's a really good summary of the ministry of Jeremiah over the next few years. Right. And it seems to me that that's an agricultural image she's talking about. I mean, I've been, uh, you know, I put myself through college and seminary doing landscape work outside uh, in Arizona and California, both. And I've been in what we called cleanup Mm. uh, jobs where you'd go in and everybody wants all the plants torn up, taken out, cut down trees, and then they plant a whole new landscape. Right. And this is the image uh, that uh, God is, through Jeremiah, going to do that, Mm -hmm. talking about everything's going to be, we're going to start over. Yeah, it's funny. I think sometimes we think of God's justice and judgment as this harsh sort of tyrannical thing. But the reality is the whole point of this is to build and to plant. The whole point is that it's aiming towards a restoration of the people. I... uh, (laughs) A couple years ago during COVID, my wife Emily and I uh, bought a puppy, uh, and his name is Wally. He's no longer a puppy. He's a two-year-old behemoth of a dog. But uh, when we bought him, he was constantly doing puppy things, like chewing up things he shouldn't have been chewing up. And one day we noticed he'd thrown up after both of his meals. And so we called the vet and we asked, hey, should we bring him in? And they said, yeah, we can do an x-ray, see what's going wrong with him. And we brought him in, they did an x-ray, and he had 15 little pebbles from our backyard in oh, his kidding. stomach. He had eaten 15 pebbles and the vet said, it's not a huge deal, but we are going to need to make him throw these up. So they gave him a drug that would make him throw up to get rid of these pebbles. And it was, it's a perfect, I think, picture of what Jeremiah is talking about here. We, we sometimes in order to have health and, and goodness in us, we sometimes need to throw up some things to make room for it. And we sometimes need to have the pebbles of our lives exposed in some way or another in order to to have God plant life in its place. So that image has stuck with me. I'm not yet a parent, but that's the closest that I've been. And uh, I saw Wally making some poor decisions and he needed to be uprooted. He needed to be destroyed and torn down in the vet's office in order to have life come to him. Uh, So yeah, it's kind of a fun image. And we'll hear that message from Jeremiah or God through Jeremiah again and again and again as we go through his book. Yeah. Uh, And another thing that's going on in the, the first chapter is God's call on Jeremiah. And there's a pattern in these stories where God calls people to particular tasks. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and usually there's five different elements. Usually you have confrontation and then a commission from God and then objection from the person being called. Yeah. And then God's reassurance and then some sign that God gives that, you know, this is all going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, you don't always have all five elements in these biblical stories of call, but you have all five here. Mm -hmm. And we have all five in the call of Moses from Exodus chapter three, which is very similar. So I thought it might be useful if uh, you play Moses and I play Jeremiah. <laughs> Sounds great. And we go through these five different uh, signs or parts of the call as yeah. we find them in these uh, traditional call stories in the Bible. Yeah. In many ways, I don't think either of us are qualified, but I think that's also what Moses and Jeremiah said. So that's a perfect way to, exactly. to say this, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So cool. the first element is confrontation. So what happens with Moses? Yeah. So Moses at the burning bush is speaking with, uh, with Yahweh in Exodus chapter three, uh, verse one through 22 is where you'll find this in your scriptures. Uh, but we hear the confrontation of the Lord. It says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And in Jeremiah, the story is from Jeremiah chapter one, obviously in verses four through 19 and verse four begins, the word of the Lord came to me saying, so both of these are God's initiative. God mm -hmm. begins speaking. Yeah, and I think that's a crucial part of the call too, right? We we are always responding. We are never the initiators, which I think is a helpful way of making sense of it. So it's the Lord that initiates this in both of them. Exactly. Yeah. And the second element is commission. Yeah, yeah. So the commission uh, that God gives Moses in chapter 3 happens in verse 10. He says, So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So very specific, this is what you are appointed to do as my prophet. Mm -hmm. And in Jeremiah's case, this is from Jeremiah 1, chapter 5. God says to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Mm -hmm. So again, very specific. This, yeah. this is the job that I'm giving you. Yeah. I think one thing, too, that you can see parallels in both of them. Uh, Moses is sent, I'm sending you, and Jeremiah is appointed, which is an outward-facing expression. The idea is that I'm, I'm sending you to, to something, towards something. I'm not sending you inward for yourself. This is for the sake of others that, right. it, that they're commissioned. It's not a blessing from God. It's a commission. It's, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sent, sent thing. So that's yeah, kind of a fun parallel. And then both for Moses and Jeremiah, they have other ideas about this. Yes. An yes. objection. So what's Moses' objection? Yeah. As many of us do sometimes when we hear the call of God in right. our lives. Right. Yeah. So in verse 11, we hear Moses' first objection to the call of God. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And very similarly, Jeremiah says, alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. And after that, you have God's assurance. It's like, I know you got objections, but trust me on this. Yeah. So what, what does God say to Moses? Yeah, really simply, God responds to Moses' objection in, in uh, verse 12 of chapter 3 in Exodus. I will be with you. And in Jeremiah, it expands on that. Mm -hmm. You have the I am with you, but it begins, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. Mm -hmm. You know, and right away you begin to say, okay, 
Rescue me from what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's coming down you're not telling me yeah. yet, God? Yeah, it's like when somebody asks, are you nervous? And you're like, well, I wasn't. But now that you asked me if I'm exactly, nervous, I'm a yeah. little bit nervous. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. And then we have a sign from God that's given as the fifth of these elements of a, a biblical story of a call. Mm-hmm. So what's the sign given to Moses? Yeah, the sign given to Moses also happens in verse 12. So immediately after uh, the assurance, I will be with you from Yahweh, uh, Yahweh says this, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And for Jeremiah, the assurance or the sign will be, I see the branch of an almond tree. Now, almond, uh, the word for almond in Hebrew sounds like watching. Mm-hmm. So I see the almond tree and I see a pot that is boiling and mm-hmm. it's tilting towards the north. So the sign is uh, God is watching. God knows what's going on in terms of the international powers that are coming into play that will affect mm-hmm. the land of Judah, uh, Egypt to the south and to the north of Syria and the later Babylon. Mm-hmm. And then the pot that is boiling, it's tilting from the north Jerusalem is always conquered from the north. Mm-hmm. It has natural defenses on the uh, west and on the east and the south, but not the north. Yeah. And so we know that's where the invaders will come. Don't worry about Egypt to the south. It's coming from the north. Right, so right. Different signs. And when that happens, you know that uh, all of this is true. I was really calling you to this task. Yeah. Well, and I think what's really helpful about your work and observations, Bruce, in the middle of these Full Dig podcasts is they help us locate these things in actual places and actual times. So I think sometimes we can get disconnected from these biblical narratives. And it's helpful to remember that Jeremiah was a real guy who lived in real socially and politically and religiously divisive times and needed to navigate the call of God in the midst of that place. And I think that's a, a reassurance for us as we live in often socially and religiously and politically divided times, uh, that we are also participating with God to bring life in the middle of those spaces. And um, that's not some distant spiritualized notion. So I, th- I think that's really helpful. And that comes out again in those strange to us places and names at the start of the passage. Now, another way that we connect with biblical stories is not only uh, hearing from some Bible teacher that has some background of that. Sometimes we have artistic expressions of that. Yeah. We have a, a song that uh, illuminates a biblical passage or sometimes even a movie mm-hmm. that is about biblical themes. And you watched a movie about Jeremiah. I did. Yes. I am. a am a big movie fan. I, uh, I studied film in grad school. And in many ways, film is the primary storytelling method of our world. Uh, it's how most people, either through TV or film, take in stories and process stories. And that often means that's true for a lot of our spiritually resonant stories as well. And so I decided to watch uh, a, a 1990s adaptation of the story of Jeremiah uh, starring uh, Patrick Dempsey, uh, which is uh, those of you that have, have watched Grey's Anatomy are familiar. It's McSteamy, right? Is that the nickname? McSteamy, he, Dr. Yeah. McSteamy. Dr. McSteamy. Jeremiah. And, uh, as soon as you look at his piercing blue eyes, you will see why he's nicknamed Dr. McSteamy. I always think of um, piercing blue eyes when I think of Jeremiah. Right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, but uh, in reality, I think they did a pretty good job in the film uh, locating you in, in the place. Uh, I, I didn't feel like it was oftentimes when we uh, interpret biblical stories, especially visually, we can lose sight of the ethnic components of it, the geographical components of it. And I think they did a pretty good job with it. Uh, obviously Dempsey is 
not likely to look exactly like Jeremiah did, but most of the other characters they do a pretty good job with. Um, so I, I think there's often three helpful lenses to view films through that can help us make sense of them. Uh, this is coming from a book called Making Movies Work by an author named John Borston. And uh, he brings up three different eyes of film that we look through. So he says uh, we can see things through the visceral eye, which is the tangible uh, action or violence or sex in a movie. Uh, And then we can see things through the vicarious eye. The vicarious eye is how well we relate to the characters. And then finally, we can see things through the voyeuristic eye, which is the plot and the narrative and how engaging the plot and narrative is. And uh, I think they did a a pretty solid job on the visceral front and on the uh, voyeuristic front. I think it makes sense of the story pretty well. Uh, They make some interesting artistic choices along the way. Uh, God, in Calling Jeremiah, is depicted as a young woman at one point, which Mm -hmm. is a fascinating decision. And uh, But it was when Josiah was a young boy. And so there might be some sort of parallel. They're saying that God kind of meets us in a voice that would make sense to us, that can speak to us in that way. So that was an interesting choice. God also appears as an old man at certain points, and that's maybe a little more common in how we uh, have God expressed in our modern day uh, kind of understanding of God visually. But uh, yeah, I think they did a really good job kind of laying out the trend. There's a, a really powerful scene of Jeremiah going through the temple and seeing all of these idols, seeing all of this brokenness and prostitution and those sorts of things. And uh, it's really agonizing. They do a pretty good job of bringing out the agony of Jeremiah seeing this supposedly holy place that's been torn down by ugliness and idolatry. Uh, So I think viscerally and voyeuristically, story-wise and then viscerally, they make you feel like you're there. They make you feel uh, like you're a part of the story and and walking along Jeremiah in the story. I do think the vicarious eye was a little tough. And I think this is always the challenge with Bible stories. Because they're so legendary oftentimes in our minds, because they're so big in our minds, it's tough to bring them into real human situations. Uh, You think about this oftentimes with how Jesus is depicted. It's really hard to depict an authentically human Jesus because we see Jesus as God. And so how we do that is tough. And I I think in this story, there are some lines of dialogue that are delivered very exorbitantly, very uh, kind of over the top at times. It begins to sound like a Bible movie at that point. Right. Right. At that point, you kind of almost pull yourself out of the story. You lose sight of the the authenticity of Jeremiah's humanity, the authenticity of his agony over uh, the idolatry around him. So I think in general, it's a worthwhile watch. It's on YouTube. Uh, And as we're going through this series, I would recommend it to people to watch, even if it's just helpful to get a visual for where you are and where the story's going. Uh, But also to be aware that there are some some traps maybe of of cheesy line delivery at certain points right. throughout we are so. all talking about dr mcsteamy so we'd expect some of that that's right that's yes. right totally so what's the totally. name of the movie the movie's just called jeremiah it's just uh named after the prophet and, and jeremiah free available on youtube free on youtube you can go and watch it with ads so you've got to put up with with some ads right now cryptocurrency is like all over the place so you might have to listen to some of those ads but uh outside of that it's a free movie to watch on youtube okay yeah now i find it fascinating uh talking about the history of what's going on in Jeremiah's time when he has his ministry during the last five kings of Judah, mm. beginning with uh, Josiah and ending with Jedekiah, uh, because there are a number of other prophets who uh, are ministering in that same time, particularly in Josiah's time and uh, later on uh, during the reign of Jehoiakim, mm-hmm. who's about the third of this series of the last five prophets or last five kings. Mm-hmm. So you have Zephaniah, you have Nahum, you have Habakkuk, and you have Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. And when you go to the 
history part of the Bible, you go to 2 Kings and you talk about the reign of Josiah. What did it what was it that got Josiah thinking about God in a new way? Because it's in the uh, 18th year of his reign mm-hmm. where he has a religious reform and begins reforming the whole country religiously. Jeremiah's prophecy begins in the 13th year of his reign, so Josiah is not yet turned around. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we've been talking about, did Jeremiah have any converts in all of his long ministry? Well, at least he had the convert of King jo- Josiah that turned yeah. around. But what what does it, what pushes King Josiah over the edge? You think at that point, the book of Second Kings is gonna quote from Josiah or, or, or uh, Zephaniah or Huldah or Nahum or uh, Habakkuk. Uh, but the prophet that they mentioned that really puts Josiah over the edge and causes him to rethink his whole religious position is a woman prophet, Huldah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, she doesn't have a book in the Bible named after her, but we do have this uh, prophecy that she delivers uh, that this is the word of God to King Josiah. He's got to turn things around. Uh, do you want to read that for us? I'd love to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, helpful for us to remember that uh, there are prophets that spoke outside of just the ones that we explicitly get books of in, exactly, in yeah. the Hebrew scriptures as well. Uh, so yeah, this is from 2 Kings chapter 22. Uh, this is verses 15 through 20. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I had spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in this place. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. So I think it's interesting that she begins her prophecy not uh, telling the messenger, you tell the king who sent you, but you tell the man (laughs) who sent you to me. In other words, Let's make you're, sure this gets to the source. You're, you're, you're in trouble. Yeah. You know, it, when your mom starts using your middle name, <laughs> you know you're in trouble. And and that's kind of what uh, the prophet Huldah is uh, saying uh, to the kings. Like, yeah. wait, wait, yeah, don't go throwing around. Don't tell God that you're the king. You know, that's that's not what's going on here. You are not in the power position. God is. That's good. Yeah. Uh, love that. Yeah, yeah. I want to say something about Anathoth, uh, yeah. Jeremiah's hometown. Yeah. Um, so that is about two miles north of Jerusalem, north, north, east of Jerusalem. And I've hiked it a couple times. Uh, I hiked it in 1978 mm-hmm. and then 1979. And by 1979, I could tell that the nearby village of Anata, which preserves the place name Anathoth, mm-hmm. it was beginning to grow. And that meant they're going to need territory. And at some point, it's going to swallow up. Mm. Uh, where we think the archaeology is. So the place name is preserved in Anathoth, but the town uh, was located, the biblical town, on a place called Ras el Harubi. Okay. And Harubi is carob tree. Amazing. So so it's the hill of the carob tree. And, you know, I I went around to health food stores to find carob chips, which you used to find all over (laughs) in health food stores. 
uh, carob, it tastes like chocolate, bittersweet mm. chocolate. Mm. Uh, uh, so we'll bring that for another time on yeah. the podcast. We'll have some carob chips here. I want to hear your reaction. Yes. You've well, never tasted carob. And you? yeah, people listening won't get to hear the, the great grief that I had over not getting to have some carob chips today. So I'm excited to try them a different time. And well, uh, They're I in the refrigerator. They'll, they'll keep for Perfect. the next time we do this. Perfect. So awesome. That'll be good. Yeah, I'm excited. But it's bittersweet chocolate. And it mm. always reminds me of Jeremiah. It's sweet that he is yeah. called by God to be a prophet, but he's got a bitter message to the people. Yeah, yeah, it's helpful to engage those senses for us. Literally, taste something bittersweet when we when we hear a bittersweet message. That's good. Yeah, yeah. and Anathoth uh, is also a great uh, transition to talk about. Uh, usually, we do archaeology. Today, we're going to do uh, Bible historical geography. All right, which is a combination of five dis- different disciplines. So, mm. if you think what would be included as, as the five different disciplines of Historical geography, the first two are easy, right? What, what's the first two for historical geography? I would imagine history and geography That's would right. be it's, the first it, two. It is not a trick question. That's history right. and geography. Then archaeology yeah. would be a third. Yeah. Uh, study of ancient languages mm-hmm. is the fourth. And the fifth is something called toponymy. Oh. A toponym is a geographic place name. Okay. And toponymy is a study of geographic place names. How nice. To, how to... Uh, places get their names. Okay. And, how and then those, how they develop, I would imagine. How they yeah. developed, how they changed. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, Scottsdale's original name was Orangedale. Oh, amazing. And then they changed it to Scottsdale in honor of Winfield Scott. All right. There you go. When. So that's toponymy, you said? Toponymy. Toponymy. There you go. So uh, one of the things we learn in toponymy is that sometimes ancient place names are preserved in modern names. Mm. And we have that in the four Levitical cities in the territory of Benjamin. Uh, Anathoth is one of those. Yeah. The other three are Geba, Gibeon, where mm-hmm. uh, they have the big battle and the sun stands still at Gibeon, and then uh, Alman. And so I'll give you the name of the biblical city, and then I'll give you the name of the modern Arabic uh, village that preserves that biblical name. So mm-hmm. for Alman, it's Kirbet Almit. Kirbet mm-hmm. means uh, ruin. Mm. You know, the, the ruins of Elmit. Geba is Jeba. Gibeon is Al-Jib. Mm. And Anathoth is Anata. So you see, it, it makes sense. Now, because you have the place name preserved in a modern location, that doesn't mean it's always the exact spot. So you have to make sure the archaeology that you find on the ground or find in a, a trial pit matches the uh, potsherds that we expect from the period where the story in the Bible takes place. Sure. Have those kind of things uh, going on. Sometimes you dig the trial pit in the wrong location. Yeah, yeah. And we have some of that going on with Jeremiah's hometown, uh, Anathoth. Mm. And now, as I say, uh, Anata has crept in, and, and now uh, what was a very small village of, you know, 100, 200 people for centuries is now, you know, several thousand people. Mm. And, and you've got all of the... Uh, joys and sorrows of a regular mid-sized city. Totally, yeah. totally. Uh, as a side note, too, I, we're we're looking at a map, and I know there are many resources that can be helpful visually. Uh, I would imagine we could attach some of these in the show notes of the podcast if people are interested in looking at an actual map. Yeah, mm-hmm. our, our technician is saying that maybe we can. We, we can try that. We can say that. Nice. You know, we, we'll try to do it with a, a map to show people where Anata is and where yeah. Ras El Kharubi is. Yeah. We'll also do that with a resource, a handout that shows the dates of all the kings of Israel and Judah. 
I think that might be helpful to people. Yeah, yeah. If somebody's really wanting to do a full dig, they could uh, they could look at some visuals and some timelines. That could be helpful. So that handout will be, uh, if we're able to post it, it'll be one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, front and back. One side will have all the archaeological periods that you need to know. The other side will have the kings of Israel and Judah. Cool. Cool. Sounds great. Now, we've often been trying to draw from our eco-confessional standards Mm -hmm. and our essential tenets to talk about um, uh, different themes in theology that match up with the biblical passage that we're looking at. And today we've got something from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Yeah, yeah. We're looking at this right in front of us here. This is from chapter five entitled Of Providence from the Westminster Confession. Uh, So I'll read this aloud uh, for those listening. God, the great creator of all things, upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly, yet by the same providence, he orders them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. God, in his ordinary providence, makes use of means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. Now, Bruce, there's a few big words in that statement there, things like immutability, infallibility. Uh, Maybe you could help summarize or unpack some of uh, what the Westminster Confession is getting at there for us. So the summary would be of this section of the Westminster Confession, God is large and in charge. There you go. God rules and overrules all things. And then it begins to talk about the nitty gritty of, well, how does God rule all things? Mm -hmm. And how does God overrule all things? Mm -hmm. So God can use ordinary or extraordinary means to do that. You know, God sets things up and and sometimes you have something like the sun rose this morning Mm -hmm. through ordinary means, things that God sets set up. Right. But God is not limited to those things. God can uh, do anything God wants. You know, we, we were talking about this very strange thing that happened about a week ago. Uh, I was taking a nap and I, and I woke up from the nap because I dreamed Pastor Steve came yeah. into my office and said, Queen Elizabeth died. Yeah. Uh, this was before Queen Elizabeth was sick, right? Right. And, Shocking. And yeah. then I shared it uh, as we gathered as pastors and we're all thinking about that. And all of a sudden she got sick and she died. Mm-hmm. And Pastor Steve and I are looking at each other like, what what happened there? What yeah. There are things like in like that in life that are just we don't know what to do with those. Right. Don't know, right. but but they happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's helpful for us to remember that too, again, that like there's this sense that God's work can be written in the stars for us, right? Can be these grandiose things, but oftentimes are woven into the everyday experiences we have. And we can encounter God in the midst of those. And God is at work in the midst of those. And I think that's helpful for us to remember. I think sometimes we want the big grandiose things. And sometimes God is screaming at us in the small things, is yelling at us in the small things. Yes. Or, or you know, I've been watching the sky at, at night, not just because of the lightning, but because of the mm-hmm. position of Venus and the moon ah. and the, the dance that they're doing over these last mm-hmm. uh, couple of weeks, uh, close and far away. And it's, it's just been really beautiful. Yeah. But there's all this beauty around us if if we have eyes to see, if we yes. take the time. Definitely, definitely. And, and God is ruling over the 
planets and the stars and the sun and the moon and God's ruling over us too That's if right. we have eyes to see. Yep. Yeah. A helpful a helpful note from the Westminster Confession there. Now we also often have a quote from C.S. Lewis and uh, yeah. Pastor Steve used a quote from C.S. Lewis uh, about Queen Elizabeth yeah. and when she uh, first was crowned. Yeah. And how, are you a big C.S. Lewis guy, Bruce? Are you? Uh, a that's fan? that's what they say. Yeah, oh, okay. I was uh, nice. I was uh, lecturing on C.S. Lewis at ASU last night. All as right. a matter of fact. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but the quote of C.S. Lewis I chose for this is something different. It, it it goes to Jeremiah's call and how he wasn't too happy about that at first. And we have C.S. Lewis's explanation of when he returned to believing in God uh, and how that happened, and he wasn't too thrilled about this. Mm-hmm. So, This is from his spiritual autobiography, Surprised by Joy, The Shape of My Early Life. Mm -hmm. He writes, you must picture me alone in my room in Maudlin, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet, (laughs) that which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. <laughs> and, and so that's just a reminder to me that, uh, you know, God calls us to do things. And, and sometimes we're hesitant about that. Sometimes yeah. we wonder, God, you've got the wrong person. Definitely. Uh, but God has that sense of, um, God, God knows us, yeah. and God has a, a, a plan um, how God will take our lives and weave that into his master design for all things. Yeah, yeah. When you see a, just a very similar sentiment in Lewis, as we saw in Moses and as we saw in Jeremiah, this consistent me, of, like of all people, me in this big, grandiose plan of yours. Yeah, really fascinating uh, to see that exposed here in Lewis, who's a much more modern uh, example of this idea of God's call. So we'll be looking more and more about uh, the tough job that Jeremiah has, that Mm. bittersweet call that he has, and how that works out. Uh, But uh, we'll close for today. Uh, Would you mind closing in prayer for us, Clint? I would love to close in prayer. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. Ah, Father, we we come before you as people who are regularly amazed at the big and the small that you are working in and around us, that you gave breath to our lungs this morning, that you started our minds and our bodies, that you've given us much to sustain them, uh, but also that you are at work in the big cosmic story of redemption and restoration that the prophets remind us of, that uh, your son Jesus reminds us of. And so I pray uh, for everyone listening here that uh, in this full dig podcast uh, environment, that they would be more empowered, uh, deepened, enriched, and edified as they seek to find uh, where you're calling them right now in this season of life, uh, in your big cosmic plan of redemption and restoration. Thank you for sending your son and inviting us to participate with you in that work. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Clint. Yeah. Thank you, Bruce.